Amen. Please open your Bibles with me today to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12. Today and next Sunday, in celebration of the Easter season, we are going to take a break from our study in 2 Corinthians that we've been looking at here on Sunday mornings. And today I want to look at John, chapter 12 which really is the story of that very first Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. It'll be evident as we read our text where we get that name. But it's that, that day, of, I'm calling today's study a day of revelation. A day of revelation. This is Jesus now coming into Jerusalem to present himself for the very first time as the Messiah to the nation of Israel. Now, Jesus had been ministering for several years. He had been ministering, performing miracles. And you may remember, often when he would perform a miracle, he would say, now don't tell anybody about what's happened to you. I imagine that would be pretty hard, especially, for example, if your eyes, you know, you were blind and now you can see. How do you not tell that people? You can't keep walking into stuff, right, as you move around. It's hard to keep some of those things to yourself. But the point is, Jesus was not looking yet to declare himself as Messiah. And uh, remember, there were times when he said, my hour has not yet come. When people tried to kind of promote him and get him accelerated, you know, take, uh, you know, take your place in ministry in the nation. And Jesus said, no, my hour has not yet come. But what we'll see here today is that, in fact, his hour has come. And that this is the very day that he would look to reveal himself officially as Messiah to Jerusalem. This is a day of prophetic significance, a day that was planned and foretold by the Lord through the prophets. And as we'll see today, really a day of Jesus revealing himself as Messiah to the Jewish people. Pick it up with me now. We'll begin in verse 12. This first section that we'll look at, verses 12 through 19. I'm, I'm bulleting that, the, a day of excitement and expectation. A day of excitement and expectation. Picking it up in verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Thus we get Palm Sunday. And they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness... For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is quite a uh, kind of a, a significant event. Notice there in verse 12, it says, the next day. Uh, this is just following the, the days wherein Jesus had called Lazarus forth from the grave. Remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead? Well, this was just outside of Jerusalem that that miracle took place. And believe me, that word was spreading like wildfire through the community. A man's been brought back from the dead. You can imagine that kind of a miracle brought, brought uh, quite a reputation. 
And so all those that were there witnessing this miracle, they began to talk about it, but they also came with Jesus as he came to Jerusalem. And the word had spread to all those who were in the city, so they were coming out to see and glorify Jesus, having heard this miracle. And you notice it was that the day of the feast. This was the beginning of the Passover week. So the city was, had all kinds of visitors. In fact, Josephus, the historian, he tells us that the normal population size of Jerusalem in this day was about 600,000 people. Pretty good sized city. But during Passover, it would swell to over 2 million people. So just hordes of people coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And now they've heard this Jesus is coming to Passover. This worker of miracles. They'd heard about his ministry. Rumor had been out for many years. But they weren't sure if he would show because they also knew there was a life threat against him. And yet now they hear that he's coming and they come out to meet him and they begin to declare that the Messiah has come. They took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is a messianic psalm that they begin to quote, really beginning to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. That's why the Pharisees were so upset. Look, the whole world is going after him. We've got all these plans to try and stop him, and he's just gaining in popularity. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, it tells us, you may remember this, you don't need to turn, but in Luke 19:39, some of the Pharisees called to him, Jesus, from the crowd, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them keep calling you the Messiah. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones immediately would cry out. Lest the rocks cry out, as you've often heard, Jesus is now allowing this declaration of who he is and it's for the first time that jesus is openly really declaring himself to be messiah and king it's a it's a it's a fulfillment of prophecy this coming in on a donkey spoken of very specifically in zechariah chapter 9 isaiah chapter 40 daniel chapter 9 predicted to the very day when the messiah would be revealed to the nation John, in his honesty here, as he writes, he says, you know, his disciples did not understand at first the significance of these events. It's believed that John was advanced in years when he actually sat down to write the Gospel of John. He may have been in his 80s, maybe even in his 90s, when he actually sat down and began to pen out his Gospel. And now he's very honest, very candid. You know, when we saw it, uh, we didn't realize all that was happening. When Jesus rode in on the, on the donkey, we, we just were kind of following his orders. We were just excited. We didn't realize the significance of everything that was happening. But in fact, Jesus was fulfilling prophetic utterance from the prophets. God's sovereign hand directing every step. And Christ in complete step with the Spirit. But the, people were, the people's expectation, as we will discover moving on, was in fact... A false expectation. They wanted a Messiah. They were looking for a king. But they were looking for a Messiah and a king that would establish an earthly kingdom. You see, they wanted someone to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. 
They were serving under the bondage, and it was a hard bondage of Rome and the tax burden of Rome. And there was great animosity. They wanted their own land. They wanted their own government. They were God's people. Where's our Messiah? Come and deliver us. Like, like Moses getting them out of Egypt, we need our Messiah to throw off Rome. And so when Jesus began to show signs of this miracle-working promised Messiah, they were enthused and excited, but it was an expectation that was based more on what they wanted than what Jesus had really come to accomplish. We see this as they, as they celebrate, and we see this as Jesus will have to kind of uh, realign their thinking. You see, the people weren't looking to be delivered from their sin. This wasn't their, on their, 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 their thinking. They weren't really looking to be delivered from their hypocrisy, their superficial religion. Even the disciples. Do you remember what the disciples were talking about just prior to this event? Which one of them would be the greatest? Who's going to sit on your right hand and on your left? They were already planning their, you know, their, their royal uh, being a part of Jesus' ruling and reigning. They were already thinking that this was going to be something of an earthly kingdom and they were already looking forward to what they believed Jesus was going to do. And they were excited. Even the disciples were excited. But Jesus, of course, he knew that in fact they would miss the true purpose of his coming. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, again, you don't need to turn, but it tells us that as he drew near the city, that he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They were looking for something that God was not looking to bring, looking for some self-fulfillment, some desire of an earthly kingdom and blessing. We'll also find out that these people turn out to be very fickle, don't they? The same ones that are saying Hosanna to the king and just a few days later they're going to be saying what? Crucify him, crucify him. So really their their interest in Jesus was self-serving. And once it became apparent that he wasn't going to give them what they imagined, what they had fashioned for themselves, they rejected him. And I think that there is some of that even today. Those that desire Jesus who will give them what they want. They want a Savior, they want a Messiah, they want Jesus so long as He accomplishes those desires that they have for Jesus in their life. To rule and reign, to give me success and happiness in this world. I don't want to be talking about obedience and change and death to self. That's not the Jesus I I want to focus on. I want a Jesus that is going to give me those things I desire. I read an article recently here by Greg Laurie on this very text, and he said said it this way, In essence, they were customizing God as though he were a smartphone app. You know, why can't we have an I-God that does what we want him to do when we want him to do it? We want to be in charge. An an (laughs) I-God. Right? I-God. Give God on my terms, and I can put him to work just as an app on my smartphone, and this is what people were looking for. They were wanting Jesus to give them the best of this world. And they did not realize that Jesus did not come to give them the world, but He came to save the world. He came to deliver them out of the world. That's why Jesus would say, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? They were misguided. They were misfocused. And their expectation 
was false. Look with me now, verse 23. We'll see that Jesus also had expectation. This section is a day of expectation, but also a day of trouble. A day of trouble. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus has a certain expectation as well for this time. It's different than what the people had imagined. Jesus knows that his hour has come. It's not an hour to be glorified in establishing an earthly kingdom, establishing something in the world, but it's rather an hour wherein he will be laying his life down for the world. The hour has come to be glorified through his death. Time to die for the sins of the world. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it dies, it remains alone. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it brings great harvest. And it's not only a time for Jesus to die, but we see here it's also Jesus calling disciples to follow him. In fact, he says, listen, those of you that love this life, you're going to lose it. But those of you that hate life in this world will keep it for eternal life. To serve me, Jesus said in this text, is to follow me. And for those that serve me, my Father will honor them. Jesus is inviting his disciples to follow him on this road. But it's not the road to the, to the earthly throne that they imagined. It's the road to the cross. It's the road to a place of sacrifice. It's the road to a place of surrender. It's the road to the place where God will will pay the price for our sins. And this is the invitation that I believe goes out today concerning the gospel. It's not a call to to glory in the way we think. It's a call to the cross. The glory is in the new life, the resurrected life in the Spirit, not the, the blessings of this life. Now, God will bless in this life. God will provide. God will care for us in this life. But that's not the ultimate glory. What would it it profit you if you gained the whole world but lost your soul? God is calling us to a place to meet Him as Jesus did at the cross. A call to follow Him. And He says, that's the one that my Father will honor. How will He honor you? He'll honor you with with the blessing of eternal life. 
He'll honor you with the blessing of becoming a child of God and ruling and reigning with Christ, not in, not in this life, but in the eternal kingdom that He has promised. This is why Jesus said, My soul is troubled. Father, save me. And yet for this purpose I know that I've come. Father, glorify Your name. Reminds us of His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Lord, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. Jesus surrendering ultimately to the plan and purpose of God. And he knows that his hour has come. And he, he, he resigns himself to saying, Father, glorify your name. And this voice from heaven, I have and I will glorify. And Jesus said, you know, God's not thundering this voice for my sake. Because I already know what the Father answers how he answers my prayer. I always, uh, I hear his voice. I, I don't need an audible voice from the Father. God has made this audible for your sake, so that you would know how it is God is going to be glorified. And he says, I have come that, that the world might be, the sins of the world might be judged. Judgment is coming to the world. And I believe the judgment that he's speaking of is the judgment for the sins of the world. They are going to be laid upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And God is going to judge the sins of the world at the cross. On the person, the sinless Lamb, Jesus Christ. Think about that. All the sins of the world. Just think about all your own sins. Those that are known and those that are hidden. All the thoughts, every false step, every thought, every deed. All the sins of the entire world from generation to generation. All of that is getting ready to be judged. Where? At the cross, Jesus Christ would bear it all. Now we know why he said, my soul is troubled. Jesus was not afraid of death. Jesus was troubled with bearing the sin of the world. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He who knew no sin was about ready to become all sin. That we might become righteousness of God in Christ. This judgment has come to the world. And he also says that the ruler of this world will be cast out. This is where Satan will be defeated. It's at the cross and the resurrection. This is where death, sin, and the grave are conquered. At the cross. And Jesus is going there to bring victory. To allow the judgment to be upon him. And to cast out the ruler of this world. And he says something there in verse 32. I'm sure it's a verse you've quoted, often heard. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. When when he says, I be lifted up, he's clearly talking about the cross. I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. And if I'm lifted up on that cross, signifying the death, John says, talking about the death that he would die, I'm going to draw all peoples to myself. What is it that draws men towards God? What is it that draws our hearts to come into relationship with the Lord? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of love like we've never seen before. It's the opportunity for reconciliation with an eternal and loving God. It's a place of forgiveness and mercy. It's a place to come and unload your sin and put it upon the cross of Jesus and receive grace and mercy and help. It's a place where you meet with the Lord and that's what the Spirit draws us towards. He's drawing us to the cross. Not some 
happy, good life that we can, you know, feel better about ourselves. Now, I don't mean to minimize the joy of the Lord. I think it's precious. I think that God has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly, that we might have real purpose and meaning in life. But it's not always the way we think. Similar to this people here. They had their own visions of a Messiah. This is what He'll do for us. This is what He's going to be for us. When all the while, the message was, Come to the cross. Come and have your sins dealt with. That's the real issue. Not what, what your bank account looks like. Not what trials and troubles you have right now. And I'm not minimizing them. They're real. They're serious. And we need the Lord. But listen, you could have all that solved. And if you don't have your sins solved in your heart, you'll lose your soul. Jesus didn't come to do some superficial kind of you know, blessing and work. He came to deal with the heart of man's trouble. We're sinners. We're separated from God because of sin, and we can't help ourselves, and we can't cleanse ourselves. We can't, we can't in any way earn our way out of it, or work our way out of it, or figure our way out. Jesus came to solve the real issue, and that was the sin of man's heart. And that's why Jesus said, if I can be lifted up on this cross, I'm going to draw all people to myself. A place of repentance, a place of surrender, a place of forgiveness, love, and sacrifice. True matters of the heart. That need that we all have for mercy, restoration, a loving relationship with God for all eternity. That's what He's calling us to. That's what He draws us to. It is a day of expectation, but it's also a day for Jesus, a time of trouble. Let's look on, pick it up with me now in verse 39. It is a day of salvation. The people answered Him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You see, when Jesus said lifted up, they knew what He was talking about. They knew He was talking about being lifted up on a cross. That's why they're saying, wait a minute, we thought you were going to live forever. Who is this Son of Man? Verse 35, then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and then departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, verse 42, interesting, even among the rulers, many believed in him. There were some believers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. Jesus now talks about this salvation that he's come to bring. He references it as the light. 
He says something very interesting there in verse 36. I draw your attention back to it. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. While you have the light. This speaks of a limited time offer, doesn't it? It's not this ongoing, don't worry, the light will always be there. No, while you have the light. This speaks of opportunity. It speaks of a window within this life to respond. While there is light, while the gospel has come to you, this is your opportunity to believe in it. Don't imagine that, you know, well, I'll get right with God someday in the future. I don't need the Lord right now. I'm too busy. I don't want to change anything. I'm pretty self-sufficient. I think I'll just keep going, and then maybe someday if I need to, I'll get my heart right with the Lord. Jesus said, listen, while you have the light, there is this limited offer that God brings. And while you have, he says, believe. Today is the day of salvation. Now, this is a command. While you have the light, think about believing. While you have the light, eh, you might want to believe. While you have the light, believe. Now, today, give your life to the truth of this message. He says in 1 John 3, again, I'm just quoting verses you don't need to turn. 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. This is the commandment of God. Believe in the light. Believe in Jesus. This is the offer of salvation. This is how you come out of darkness. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever what believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. While you have this opportunity, Jesus says, believe that you may become sons of light. This is how the transformation takes place. It's hearing and believing this message of Christ. As you believe it, you become adopted into His family. You become, as Jesus said, born again. John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. But tragically, and we see the Apostle John here in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. You know, you've probably heard this. I know I have. You may even have said this. Maybe somebody, some of you even here may still think this. You know, if only I could have seen the miracles. If only I could have transported back there and actually witnessed some of these events, then I'm sure I'd be a believer. Then I'm sure I I could be convinced and persuaded. But what John is telling us is that although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe. Witnessing spiritual events does not soften a man's heart. Seeing even supernatural things, men will explain away, men will justify away, men will think of alternative uh, you know, uh, ideas of how these things happen. And they will reject the truth. And that's why he says it's just as Isaiah foretold. It was prophesied that it would be this way, and it is this way today as well. But listen, God is not calling us by miracles. God is calling us by a message. A message of truth concerning Jesus. 
Verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many did believe in him. Interesting. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These were your modern-day closet Christians. They believed, but they didn't want anybody knowing because they didn't want the peer pressure. They didn't want it to impact their life. These were some of these rulers. They had positions within the synagogue. They didn't want their social standing, their religious place, to in any way be diminished. So they just kept it to themselves. Well, he really is the Messiah. I've seen the miracles. I'm convinced. But I'm not going to tell anybody because that will affect my lifestyle. That will affect my comfort zone. That'll, that could have real implications on my standing, on my job, on my profession, on my career. I can't talk about it. And so they, they, they kept it to themselves because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know, I think of baptism. Baptism, of course, is that outward picture of what has happened within the heart. Baptism doesn't save us. Salvation comes through faith in the message of Jesus. But baptism is an outward expression of what has taken place And there is something about that public confession. You know, Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I will also deny you before my Father. We'd all like to be just secret Christians. We'd all like to avoid any persecution, any consequence, any any pressure. If we could just keep it to ourselves. Just you and me, God, I'll come to church. I'll sneak out. Nobody will know. Won't bring it up at family times because, oh, you know what that's going to do. I won't talk about it at work. I'm just going to be a below-the-radar Christian. This is not, John does not commend these men here. This is a rebuke. This is saying, guys, you're, you're, you're worried more about what men think of you than what, than what God thinks of you. I don't believe we have to go out and make ourselves you know, some obnoxious spectacles for Christ. But I do think that there, is, there needs to be a willingness to declare openly who we are and who we follow. And what we believe and why we believe it. Baptism is just one of those open outward declarations of what we believe. And we're not ashamed to be identified with Christ. But it's more than just that. That's just, again, getting at the idea of being who you are in Christ. And not being ashamed of that. Not being afraid of the consequences. And there will be. There will be consequences. Don't imagine. Don't kid yourself. Don't think it won't change your family dynamics, your workplace uh, relationships. It could. Again, we need to be wise. We need to be, you know, take opportunities as the Lord presents. But don't, don't shy away. Don't be afraid of man when you have opportunity to speak for God. Well, finally here, verse 44, pick it up with me. It's also a day of decision. A day of decision. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone, what, hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command 
what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus now really brings it into a decision, a dividing line, if you will. He who believes in me is believing in God. He who receives my word, you're receiving the words of God. And you will come into the light and you will come out of darkness. This is the step that one must take. You must believe, you must receive this message that Christ proclaims. And notice again, it is, it is a word. It's a message. How do we get saved? By hearing the truth. How do we share our faith? By speaking a word of truth. The gospel is a message that is carried out, that is carried by his people that declare it. And it goes out with great power and the ability to save. He who, but he also says something else. He who hears my word and does not believe, he remains in darkness. You see, the gospel is this message, the word becoming flesh. That's again why it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He who rejects me. Notice what he says. Those that reject me, I do not judge. Because I didn't come to judge. I came to save. It's not me judging you. It's the word that you have rejected that will stand in judgment. You bring this judgment upon yourself for rejecting the truth. Think about it. Think about someone bringing you a message of how to escape a certain disaster. And they tell you very clearly, look, this is what you need to do, and I'm here to help you. And they extend their hand, and you say no, and you reject. And you turn from it, and you go off on into destruction. You don't turn around and say, hey, why are you judging me? I'm not, I didn't come to judge you, I came to save you. Now you're accusing me of judging you? I warned you. I told you that you were lost in your sin. I told you that you needed to be reconciled to God. And I came and died on the cross for you. I paid the price for you. You have rejected this truth. I'm not judging you. You're living under the judgment of your own rejection of this truth and this offer of salvation. That becomes your judgment. A judgment that you have chosen for yourself. Jesus offers himself on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. This is the beauty of his love. He, raised, he was raised from the dead and offers you forgiveness and eternal life. If you reject him and refuse his offer, it's not him judging you. But rather the opportunity that you had and rejected will stand in judgment against you in the last day. He says, well, all I've told you is that which God has commanded me, and I know that His commands are everlasting life. I remind you again, I read it earlier, 1 John 3.23, and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. This is what God is calling us to, to believe on His Son. This is what God is drawing us to, every one of us, to the cross. Oh, but I need God to do this. Oh, I need God to do that. I need God to fix this. I need God. I need God. I know. He knows. But let me tell you, what he's really interested in 
is bringing you and I to the cross. That place of completely surrendering, receiving forgiveness and mercy, and living a new life in the Spirit. Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added? Where do you find the kingdom of God and His righteousness? You find it at the cross. It is the centerpiece of everything we believe. You take the cross out of this message, it's, it's worthless. It's powerless. I don't like the cross. I don't like that talk of dying to self. I don't like that whole idea of picking up my cross and following Him. I just, oh, I understand. <laughs> I understand. But that's where the power is. You see, if you're trying to save your life, if you're trying to avoid the cross, you're going to miss it. But he who's willing to come and lose his life at the cross, surrender everything that you thought your life was about, and put it and trust it into the hands of God, you're going to find it. You're going to find blessing. You're going to find light, truth, power, love, abundant life. So much better than anything you might have planned for yourself. The Spirit of God will draw you there, and that's where He'll meet you, and that's where He meets us today, even today. You know, the book of Revelation speaks of Jesus being revealed once again, doesn't it? A future revelation. We have Jesus revealing Himself here on a donkey to the nation of Israel as as their Messiah. But the book of Revelation, the same author, John, he writes of a coming revelation, and let me tell you, He's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse, and He's coming in victory, and He's coming in power, and He's coming to establish that reign upon the earth. There will come a day of ruling and reigning with Christ. But it's not in this life. It's not in the the world as we know it. No, today we come to the cross, and we surrender it to Him in faith, and we receive what He has accomplished for us, the righteousness of God in Christ. And we live out our days as pilgrims. And we live out our days in faith. Waiting for the blessed hope. He's coming. Oh, He's coming. He's at the door. And I want to be ready. And the way, you be, the way you ready yourself is by responding to this message of love and truth that He's drawing you to even now. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this season, Easter, a time when we remember together what happened not only at the cross, but of course at the resurrection, the victory beyond the cross. But Lord, here this Sunday, as we reflect on Palm Sunday, it was a day of Jesus trying to bring light into the hearts that were in darkness. Oh, they had great plans for their Messiah, but Jesus was trying to bring them to the cross. If I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us even here today, those of us that know you, that you would remind us today of the power of the cross, the power of the cross in our own lives, the difference that it has made, and the power of the cross as we proclaim it and declare its truth, the message of the gospel to others. And Lord, this is a season, this is a time to speak of these things. I think it's a time when men's hearts and minds are more open than normal. I pray that we would be fruitful, Lord. We would not be like those Pharisees, wanting to keep things in the closet, but rather that we would be bold in our faith, wise, but not fearing man, but rather fearing God. 
And as our heads are bowed here today and we're closing in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity for any of you here today that may need to respond to this word. And the word, listen, while the light is among you, while the light of this message is still upon your heart and in your ear, believe. Believe in the light and become sons of light. This is your moment. This is your time. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, today's your day. And He's drawing you. He's not drawing you to some fix for all the problems of your life. He's drawing you to the cross. The place to solve the only real problem of your life. It's not everybody else. It's not everything else. It's you. It's your own heart. It's your own sin and separation from a God that loves you and wants to save you. And He's not here to judge you. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. And Jesus here in this room today, He's not here looking at you with judgment. He's come to save. He comes to invite you to Himself. If you're here today and you've never received that love and you've never met Him at the cross, but your heart is ready, I want to pray for you. And that's all it is, believing. Believing and receiving what He's done for you there. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the cross. If you were honest, you would have to admit, maybe, maybe you're one of those believers that have been wanting Jesus to do it all for you. You'd like that iPhone app, if you could. If you could just get Jesus on your program and you're frustrated. You're living still selfishly. You're living for your own desires. You're not, you don't even want to talk about the cross. You just want to talk about Jesus giving you what you think you need. Maybe you need to come back to the cross and surrender it once again and say, Not my will, but thine be done. Father, glorify yourself in me. You take the reins of my life again. I need to recommit and rededicate my life to you. Or maybe you're one of those like the Pharisees. You've been living as a believer kind of below the radar. And the Lord's touched your heart and He's saying, You know, I don't want you to be so concerned about men as I want you to be thankful for what I've done in your life. I want you to be willing to tell people about me. That I would, that I would not be hidden in the corner of your heart or kept secret in your life. But that I would become the very Lord of your life and the very essence of your life. And that I would be maybe all you could talk about. And you need to come and rededicate yourself today too. Those are the things I'd like to ask you to respond to and I want to pray for you. So if you're here today, you need Jesus for the first time or for these reasons described or any other reason. You just need to rededicate and recommit your life to Christ. I'm asking you to simply raise your hand where you're seated and I'll pray for you. Anybody here today? The Lord speaking to you. You need the Lord. God bless you. You need to come back to the Lord. Amen. Hands here. Center. My left section as well. In the very back. Amen. Lord bless you. Any others, the Lord is speaking to you. A number of people have responded. Lord bless you, ma'am, in the back. You up front here as well, ma'am. Lord bless you. Just as I pray, anyone else, the Lord is speaking to you. You know you need this prayer. Let me see your hand. Amen. 
And so, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts that have responded here this morning. And God, we we want to be those that are not ashamed to respond. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm bringing my life to the cross. I'm surrendering who I am. I'm done trying to save my life. I'm willing to yield it to Him. I'm willing to lose it for His sake. Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin. Meet me here at the foot of the cross where you died for me. Not to judge, but to save. Save me. Change my heart from within by your Spirit. And help me now to walk in the light and not in darkness. To walk in love and not judgment. To walk in hope and not despair. To walk in eternal, abundant life, not temporary fruitless wanderings. Lord, meet us here, we ask, in Jesus' name.